Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's good, everybody? It is our favorite time of the year here at the Black Effect. We're heading down to Atlanta for the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival. And we're not going alone. Nissan is back as our partner, and they're continuing their Pitch Your Podcast Lounge at the festival, where you'll have the opportunity to pitch your podcast idea live and share it with the Black Effect team. So get those podcast ideas ready. And remember, you can count on Nissan to dial up the thrill in your adventures, no matter where life takes you. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details at&t connects and ode to podcasts connect the alarm change the podcast you stream connect the snooze 10 more minutes to dream connect the shower lather up with the news sports talk comedians or movie reviews connect with that three-hour philosophy show change the drive into work in traffic so slow connect the dishes to voices that glow thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's good, family? It's your girl, Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of Street Politicians, the place, the place where, where the, the streets, streets and, and politics, politics meet. What's good, my son? Lennon, how you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. How you feeling? You know, I know Mother's Day just happened. Happy belated Mother's Day, even though I said it on Mother's Day. But I'm saying yeah. it now during the show. Well, thank you very much. Mother's Day was actually really, really nice. I spent... Uh, a lot of time with my own mama and I guess that's really all you can ask for I thought a lot about your mom you know on Mother's Day um, my home girl Patricia Lennon so I know yesterday was probably a tough day for you and your family members hopefully you had a chance to be with your loved ones and to celebrate your mom you know it, it was kind of tough it started out early but I was with the babies the whole day so you know that kind of helped a lot and I'm playing soccer and I was a soccer dad. So yelling and arguing with the refs and getting energetic kind of just took my mind off it. But it, it was a period early yesterday morning that um that was really tough for me. And me and my brother were here. My brother stayed with me this weekend. 
and we were just talking about my mother's and I posted one of our videos of her dancing, which we always, I love to dance with her and she would always laugh because I always would make her dance. So that was like our little thing. So, you know, it was tough, but you know, I just pictured her dancing in my mind and it got me through it a lot better. Yep, Patricia is a legend that lives on. So, um, yes. so what happened for, this weekend was pretty cool because all of last week I was a little, uh, I don't know, I wanna use the word high strung, but that's not really the word just on edge because I had a real important speech to make um, on Saturday where I was the commencement speaker for Virginia Union University um, and I also received an honorary doctorate degree um, from the school and so I was all like oh first of all I have it you know I like my props this is my degree my diploma my degree okay. that's right, degree. Degree. That's right. Oh. Wait a minute, I'm gonna show you guys what that was that just fell. That's this dope. Is it. This is it. And what fell out of it that I didn't even remember that I have is a piece of art that was, was actually um, created while I was speaking. So there was a gentleman who he drew this while I was speaking. So uh, anyway, it was a really powerful day. First of all, Virginia Union has produced some of the most um, prominent preachers, black preachers uh, in America. And um, so the school is a, it has a real holy spirit about it. Um, and so the singing, the choir, everything was so good. And then it was my turn to speak. And I, um, of course, since we came back from Africa, I think I know everything about Africa. Um, and I talked about, you know, this idea that we can't forget who we are, uh, we cannot forget and we must learn more about our lineage um, and understand that we're connected to 1.26 billion people across the world uh, on a continent with 54 countries. And, you know, we're bigger than what they try to make us here in this country. And, you know, I talked about this idea that we're not one another's enemies, that that was created when we stood in those dungeons, I saw immediately exactly how the Atlantic, uh, the transatlantic slave trade created the division that we deal with, that we fight against every single day within our own community. I'm not talking about what the Europeans is doing, the Caucasians. And, you know, and, and so basically I spent some time really focusing on this idea that we're not one another's enemies, you know, and being in those dungeons is where I really had an opportunity to see, like I could feel it in my heart that if I was a woman, an African woman, and I saw my man or a man, any African man passing by me while I was in while I was captured and being abused and whatever, no matter how much I understand that you can't do anything, there's going to be a level of resentment that, that, that is inside of me. And I'm sure there's a level of shame and frustration that built up in the African man. And so 
that is where it started, this division. I'm sure there always was tribalism and there were always some issues between men and women and people in general in African culture and in every culture. But in that moment, when we were in those dungeons as the rabbi who took us around and um, Rabbi Cohen, as he showed us, you know, Cape uh, Coast, he was talking about how all the things about us, they, they started, they developed that stuff right there, that all these things that we have that makes us look at one another as our enemy as and, and all of these differences. And so with that being said, um, I tried to talk about that in, in as best as possible in my commencement speech. And I also learned just a few days before showing up at the school that it, Virginia Union is actually built on top of um, the grounds of a former slave jail. So there was a woman, um, Mary Lumpkins, who was, she was a black woman, an African woman, a, bl a black woman who was married to her slave master. And when he died, she inherited all of the land. Um, and so she started Virginia Union in the basement of the jail. And so, you know, my whole point was that and everywhere around us, there's things that will, will really beat the life out of us. But we have to realize that we've never died. We always continue to rise no matter what our conditions are. And so that was the message. And I received my honorary doctorate, which is my second. The first was from Wilberforce University, which is the that third. Is... Well, wait, that's the third oldest HBCU in the nation. So I got a lot to say about my little self today. So you got a lot going on. Congratulations, man. Um, you never cease to amaze me. You continue to um flourish and grow and keep being great. So we appreciate you, you know, and just listening to, you know, your I just know the speech was amazing because I know I remember how we all felt in those slave dungeons and how you were very just wanted to get all of the information. So I know you put that together. Hopefully somebody will show it somewhere. And we'll be able to see it, but if not, you know, if that it's on the Virginia, it's on the Virginia Union uh, YouTube page. But you know me, I'm never gonna bring yeah, it. Yeah, she will never tell us that. She will never post it. I never told us. Go to Virginia Union YouTube and watch the clip. Somebody gonna get a clip. We gonna we gonna have Linda go put a clip up on. That's not me. But but um, go ahead. You go ahead and talk. No, I just wanted to give a little a little bit of, you know, this weekend. On Friday, I celebrated with my friend as he released his movie, Respect the Jukes, his urban, you know, his urban thriller. And I, I'm proud, you know, just knowing who Anthony is, Tone, aka Pretty Tone is, and where he's come from and what he's overcome. We have a dope interview on my YouTube channel, you know, starting my new series called Sit Down with the Stand Ups, which is basically sit down conversations with stand up individuals who overcame so much adversity, prison near-death experience and have evolved into businessmen and successful directors and all types of other things. So he's the first person that I interviewed and his interview was compelling and new to me, even though I've known him for over 20 plus years, I found out so many things about him that I never knew. And wow. um, a lot of people in the streets and the industry know him. So please tune into that, go to my YouTube page at my son, YouTube at my son NY General, watch that, make sure that you stream Respect the Jukes is on all streaming platforms right now. Let's support 
you know, brothers that's doing something positive, man. We always talk about the negative and who's doing all of the stuff. This is somebody who who changed his life around for the positive. So I just wanted to give him a shout out and, and let you know about that. Well, you he I mean, we we definitely featured some of your interview um last week in well, our last show. Episode, Anybody yeah. who wants to go back and listen to the Old Street Politicians episode, you can hear um a little bit of the interview with my son and tone. But in addition to that, you should go and share, 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 like, like, like uh on <laughs> my son. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. YouTube page and listen to the entire interview. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening and I want to like help us kind of speed through this next portion of the show because we have a guest who's actually already um, on and wanting and eager to come on and talk about some of the issues that we're covering today. But a lot has been happening with my own family um, with some of my friends, I, we have a very close friend, you and I, whose son um, has been dealing with violence in school. He actually uh, was jumped uh, a couple of uh, days ago and eight boys tried to beat up on a kid who's really a good kid. He, you know, we've tried to do everything we can to find out because, you know, I'm not one of those parents that's like, oh, not my child. No, my child, too. So I'm trying to understand what exactly has he done wrong. And literally no one is able to explain it. Um, and, you know, it's just a lot. And I see a lot happening with black men. There's a mental health crisis. There is an anger crisis. There is a, just so many things, finances, everything is just, it's a lot. And I'm really concerned about what we are going to do, you know? And so um, I want to talk about another, a news story and two things in particular that are different, but it's something to be said about both of them. The first story is a brother named Deshaun Carter. He was an inmate at Rikers Island and he died in custody by suicide. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about this because he's the fourth victim this year, an incarcerated individual who was known to have mental health issues. He had been hospitalized um, and there's so many issues. And it's like you could talk about Rikers Island, the jail in New York City, as one issue. And that is one thing. But it's the conditions of the people and particularly young Black men that we're really trying to talk about today. Um, suicide rates are up for a lot of people. And it's not just suicide, it's also murders, death, everything. Every time I scroll on my timeline, somebody is dying. The phone calls coming through, people are committing, uh, people are dying by suicide. I have to remind myself not to say committing suicide. There is this a lot happening with people losing their life. Uh, not just violent incidents or folks getting locked up, but I'm talking about people actually dying. And I'm counting the numbers in my head of Black men um, that this has been happening too. So it's an interesting phenomenon. Then you have something as controversial as the conversation around Kevin Samuels. And I don't think we'll get a chance to really talk about that right now before we bring our guests on. Hopefully we can talk about it later. But, you know, I've watched, I've been watching the division online 
where there are some people who are celebrating Kevin Samuels and there are other people who are hellified angry um, and have said some pretty nasty things about him, which I don't agree with that particular thing. Um, but some of the things that Kevin Samuels said and the way in which he presented himself in the world, I'm not gonna lie that when I see some of the brothers that I respect celebrating him, it hurts me because I know what his words did to some of us as women and how demeaning it was to us and how we felt. Um, and so I see why there are women. I had a friend send me a clip of Kevin Samuel saying something that I thought was crazy because I don't listen to him, but I saw some, she sent me that. In addition was the like that I could see of a person that she and I both love and respect. And she said to me, you see, this is why I can't, this is why I can't fuck with us, right? Which really what she meant was, this is why I can't fuck with our brothers. And there's, there's a, and, 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 and I'm thinking the mental health crisis, the challenges we're facing, we're losing so many of our young black men. And then there are black women who are really, really building up a level of disdain and anger with our men. And there's such a big disconnect that I feel like we're in a place where we really got to do something about it. Well, you know, I, I, I want to give a little pushback to that because I definitely understand there There are definitely things that Kevin Samuel said. And I was like, that's the stupidest shit you could have said. Right. But then there were definitely things that he said that were, he was hundred percent on point as from a perspective as a man, right? So I, I look at that as there are a lot of women that I respect, that women have, that follow women, that have said things about men that I'd be like, how do y'all even listen to shit like that? How do y'all think that's okay? And women would be like, yeah, that's right. And they'll go on that page and be like, that's right. And they'll celebrate women that I think are, are so, so much male bashing that it doesn't even make sense that you would ever say anything about them, right? And then when we think about that, we look at Farrakhan, right? We look at how we want to be able to say, you know, Farrakhan. The honorable minister. Farrakhan. Honorable minister, Louis Farrakhan. How we can look and say, Farrakhan has done this for the community. He said these things, he's empowered, he's done these things. But these things right here, we just don't agree with. Yeah, I don't agree with everything that anybody says, right? But there are things that people say that are correct. So we have to, we have to be able, right? We have to be able to, be consistent right we can't be inconsistent and we it's okay for us to like some of the stuff that somebody says but we can't like none of the stuff that somebody else says because it doesn't fit our narrative right i have to be able to respect that women are going to like things that some women say that that i think are completely bash males that have absolutely hate black men and and, and, it, and i go on pages and i see likes from women that i love every day on pages of women that I think hate black men, right? And then, so I have to respect that. I don't disagree with you, but I, I think that where the challenge comes in, I know some black women, right? That have said things that really triggered and upset black men. They didn't make their whole career demeaning black men. This, man, really entire, this man's, his portfolio his that's portfolio. not true. That's the portfolio he, that you see. No, I can I can give I you ten videos not, where he attacked black men. I'm not I'm not talking about. And I'm saying that I'm, what I'm saying is 
whether he was attacking black men or black women, I don't think that it was helpful to do either, right? I think there is a way, I think there is a way that you can communicate with someone to help them understand things without calling them fat and saying that at 35, you are leftovers. There are certain words and, there, and, and I could go on, I could pull out a list and I promise you that some of these black women you talk about, if you tell me you know, who they are, I know some of them that have said some things that really triggered them, triggered black men. But I will tell you that I do not know of them using certain language, potent language that is extremely demeaning. Kevin Samuels was making a living off of trying to be as nasty as possible to, uh, to say it in a way that really impacts and hurts you. It's okay to say, sis, you gotta be in shape. If you're gonna be with a certain kind of man, you need to be in shape. You gotta get yourself together because you need to, you know, first of all, be healthy, da da da. You can speak like that. But when you start using words like fat and unattractive and, un and nobody wants you, that to me, to make a living off of speaking to people like that, it's not helpful. It actually breaks us down more than we already are. And I don't support any Black woman that does that. I don't support any Black man that does that. I think anybody that does that is disgusting, quite frankly. And so that's what I'm saying. And I'm not trying, and I'm not saying that he couldn't, he didn't say some things that are right. And I don't put him and Minister Farrakhan in the same position because while Minister Farrakhan has said some things that I don't agree with, he has spent his life building us up, not tearing us down. This man was doing the opposite. Well, but I don't, I don't agree with that because you, you have, you have women, right? Who have take who followed Kevin Samuels and I said, know they did. And so it's listen, women who say so, that Stallion so, so, wasn't shot. So, so what are we I'm, talking about? Listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not talking about an opinion about something. I'm talking about if I'm if a woman can listen to Kevin Samuels and she can find a benefit in benefiting herself and saying what he said made me a better person, it made me reflect on myself, it made me do better. Right. And let's, look, look, let's table this and go back and talk about it because we, we both have so much to say. So let's put our guests through on this issue of dealing. Hey, everybody, this is Carrie Champion, and I'm here to announce that the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards on April 27th. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with your Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit. Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event you want to be at. You don't want to miss it because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill in your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com slash podcast festival for more details. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future. 
building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With Black men. So I'm so, 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 so excited that today we have with us a guru, a dude from, from Brooklyn. That's our brother. We have a joke on this show that is all of our friends because we have so many friends doing so many impactful things. Um, and Kay Bain, we're so happy to have you on Street Politicians Thank today. You. Let me give you your proper uh, acknowledgements. You are from Brooklyn, New York. You're a community leader, not just an organizer, but a leader. You are CEO of Community Capacity Development. Um, which is your organization that does justice and healing work um, for Black folks and other people of color in our communities who are dealing with serious trauma. You also are one of the members of the crisis management team and a leading voice in helping to be you know, strategic in terms of the work that's happening with anti-violence groups around New York. So thanks for, having, for allowing us to have you today on Street Politicians. It's sure. a privilege and an honor. Big Mice, what up, Broski? Listen, man, you know how it is, man. I do what Tamika tells me. She's the boss here. You know, she woke me up and said, K-Bane going to be on the show today. So, all right, well, I got one of my brothers here, so we can both Let's take a little it. bit of this abuse today. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, it's a privilege and an honor. Um, I really respect, you know, the dialogue and the platform that you have created here in other spaces. Uh, I know we're going to talk about male, female, brothers and sisters and how we communicate or don't communicate properly, but I just want to say it's refreshing. Something that we said kind of in our intros in our green room was that you two, you brother and sister, y'all have a dialogue and it's not always in unison. I think that's the most healthy, that's the dopest thing that could be happening right now. It's not always about agreeing. Dialogue is a two-step process where there's reflection and then there's action, right? So the fact that we have challenging discourse that puts us out of our comfort zones that's fundamentally important in these moments that's so important in these moments because we don't need the yes man approach there's a history of trauma there's a history of intergenerational intentional disconnect and so we're, we're dealing with all of that compiled and exacerbated through pandemics through gun violence and all the different ways in which we address community issues 
the bottom line is there has to be some out the comfort zone conversations. So thank you for having me here amongst the dialogue of the leadership. So we were just in this debate um, before you came on, K Bain, which we had the table. We're going to get back to it later. But we were talking about um, specifically about Kevin Samuels, uh, who just recently died. This is a, a man that I don't know if you know him or not. Some people do, some people don't. But he became a, a controversial figure on social media. Um, and, you know, a lot of his commentary, which we don't have to get into today. Um, there's a, a, a split feeling within our community about whether it was helpful or harmful. Um, a lot of times he used language that I thought was, was, was painful for Black women to hear. And there are some people who say, well, you know, it, sometimes it's tough love and it, it might not feel so good, but we have to have those conversations. The reason why this is important is because what I noticed happening, which always happens with us, is this rift that starts between women and men, black men, blend and, black men and women, and we start arguing and going back and forth. And I think it's a dangerous time for us to find ourselves with any more division because there's so much of it and there's so much pain within our communities that in a lot of ways, I feel like all of it the lack of our unity and togetherness is why we're losing so many of our young people and particularly young black men. Because we're not even able to settle ourselves to get focused on how we have to work together um, in order to really try to impact young men. We just talked about this young guy or uh, this man, Deshaun Carter, who was um, an incarcerated person at Rikers Island who died by suicide. He had mental health issues and the list goes on. In fact, over the weekend, I was with a state's attorney and she and I were talking and I came, I came back and I was, you know, basically, which is what I do to my son, poor my son. I just, you know, I beat up on my brother so much, but I just have to place my frustration somewhere. He takes it. God bless you, my son. He built like that. He's built God like bless that. you. Bro. So I came back and I, and I, I had for the for three days, he and I have been in heated dialogue, most of it agreeing, but definitely some contentious places about black men and what we're going to do, right? Especially for young black men, because I've got a 23-year-old and some things that he does and says is it makes me, I'm 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 not always happy, right? And so we were going back and forth about it. And when I was talking to her, she said this, and I'll let you guys take it from here because I'm much more interested in your conversation. She said, you know, uh, she, she started off by saying the elderly women in the room are very concerned for their lives. And she therefore is dealing with more of us contacting her, older women contacting her about um, you know, locking up kids in their community because they're afraid. And I get it. When when kids are knocking you over the head, people getting their bones broke, their purses stolen. She said the sweet spot is between 14 and 17 years old. And they're in the street terrorizing elderly people. She said, but I know I cannot lock them all up. And I have programs, but which, this is the important piece. She said, if I keep them inside, I can, if I keep them detained, we can influence them by forcing them to go to programs and doing other things. 
But when I turn them back to their parents and give them a schedule of where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do, they're not often showing up. And now what she found while she sat in, while she sits in the courtroom, she said most of the time, 90% of the time, it is a mother, a grandmother, and maybe a homegirl. And then in other situations, it's probably just a mother that is almost never a father or a black male, the teacher or somebody present for these boys who have done something life-changing where they may spend the rest of their lives in prison. So I said, no, we gotta, we have to talk about this more. We know the issue is there, but something more has to be done. And when we're fighting each other, how do we focus? So you guys, that's my frame. Let's take it and kind of chop it up and try to see what are some of the things we need to be doing. You know, I, what I want to say is that, you know, I also had a, a, a panel conversation this weekend where um, the DA, Darcel Clark, came to this Boys to Men's um, conference that we had in the Bronx, orchestrated by um, former council member Andy King, who's done a lot of work with the young boys in the communities. And she was talk, she's pretty much said the same thing, but she, she, she took it from 14 to 30 and said that there are so many black men that are coming to her court and, and she, she doesn't want to lock them up. Like she doesn't want to just be the person to lock them up, but she, she has to be the person to make sure the streets are safe. She's not going to let people out here that are killing people. And, and, you know, and what I started to realize is that there's so much trauma, right? And there's this thing where our culture has gravitated and morphed into something that respects and advocates for and actually perpetuates and markets negativity, right? And I was having this conversation and they was talking about drill music and talk about all these things. And I was like, if we are not celebrating positivity, right? If we're not celebrating growth, if we're not celebrating the positive things, if we don't have any structures that are visibly seen, because what we can't see, we can't be, right? And if we're not seeing people being celebrated for doing positive things, if we're not seeing people being elevated for doing the positive things, the only thing we see being celebrated is negativity. How do you expect us as young men? Because is there, there's an innate nature in a man to be powerful, right? That's why sports, when you look mostly male dominated sports, it's about the competition, it's about overcoming, it's about being number one. You, you, you're going against the adversary, everybody is screaming. This is the innate nature of a man. We want to be able to compete, we want to be successful, we want to be seen as successful, we want to be celebrated. So when the positive things that we're talking about, the anti-violence, the non-violence, all these things are seen, are shunned and, and seen as soft and not seen as powerful, how do we- We're just not seen. And not seen, period, right? And not seen, period. How do we expect these young boys to gravitate to those things? Where's the incentive to be that type of individual, to be the stand-up, the, the, the person who's doing the positive things? Where's the incentive? We have to start incentivizing. We can't sit back and always criticize and say, oh, that's negative, or they doing the wrong thing. We don't have the positive rappers. When I started doing positive rap and hip-hop, people started making fun of me. Nobody wants to hear that. Oh, you go into this 
you know, there's some holier than thou, and you're preaching now, you Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Nobody was advocating for that. We're not getting the same platforms that the drill rappers are getting. We're not getting the same respect that, you know, the people that are talking about destroying and killing everybody is. So how do I, as an individual, look at a young boy who wants to be successful, who wants to be respected, who's looking for this power and his fame, tell him to do something that the world is telling him is not going to be celebrated? If I could add on, so it, what you're talking about is identity. That's the umbrella, but it really breaks down to understanding the six fundamental or universal human needs. So food, clothing, and shelter, let's put that to the side. We, we know without that, everything's off the table. Now let's go through those needs. Security, safety. When I was 15 years old in front of a judge facing 15 years in prison, it was because I didn't carry one, I carried two firearms to, feel, to meet that need to feel safe for security. Second human need, spontaneity. It's like the flip side of that coin. So as much as uh, we've been in, let's think about a stable relationship you had, right? There's a level of stability. You must call at this time. You must check in at that time. You must be at this location. But also there's a level of uh, risk or spontaneity. You got to switch up the tempo. Any relationship you have for a duration has a level of stability and a level of spontaneity. These are human needs. The third of the six human needs is acknowledgement. That's what you're talking about, Mice. When you say, when I shoot a basketball into a hoop, the whole world sees you can't deny me that. When I shot a gun as a young man in downtown Brooklyn, I shot out of fear. I was in a controversial situation. I let it go. I turned my head like this, and I ran. I ran faster than the bullet. But what the hood did, they said, K-Bane is crazy. He's a killer. He's out here shooting the Mac 10 They said I reloaded and let the police. I didn't do none of that. Right. I did it and I ran away. But the point is, people acknowledge that behavior because it met that need for significance. Our next need, love and connection. Sometimes we join families or street organizations, for that matter. Some people call them gangs because we're meeting a need. It's a human need. If you don't meet the need, you die. Love and connection. The next human need of growth. Every living thing must grow. It doesn't mean that it's progress, but it's going to grow. Last human need is contribution. To give is to get. So these needs will be met or we will die. And these are universal human needs. The work that we do revolves around the fact that if you're in Chicago, South Side, West Side, downtown Brooklyn, East New York, Brownsville, if you're in Trinidad, these are the human needs that are either being met or not met. And when you talk about the need for acknowledgement, you can meet that either in short-term destructive ways, or you can meet that need in long-term positive community legacy building ways, but that need will be met the need will be met. I mean, I feel like your organization and so many of the others, Man Up, I mean, there's a list that I could go on with just thinking about uh, organizations across the nation, the new Black Panthers that are out in Chicago. Um, you got uh, some folks, I forget the name of the organization. In fact, they're the Vegas chapter in Las Vegas. Uh, Brother Minister Stretch, there are Black men across the nation who are working at it. But I do think that the level of support, that acknowledgement, if you will, has to be increased somehow. And I wonder, Kayvain, I think in New York, we've been able to do it to some degree because there is some level of a collective body. Do you think that the potentially the issue is the disconnect between the states and like sort of how tribal we can become 
in our particular areas? Or do you just think like the government just ain't trying to really fund us? Like, what do you think is the real problem? I appreciate the question. I read somewhere recently, I think it was uh, Dr. Rose at Brown University said, structural racism is the normalization and legitimization of a wide array of dynamics, historical, cultural, institutional, and interpersonal that routinely benefit whites while producing cumulative and chronic adverse outcomes for people of color. That's what she said. And so let's look at that historical, cultural, institutional, interpersonal, structural racism is at the base of it. Mike said it best. He said, it seems intentional because what gets highlighted, what gets brought to the forefront is the bullshit. What gets brought to the forefront is the most negative, the most buffoonish clown behavior. Again, my introduction to you all was a salute and to say, I appreciate you all allowing me into your dialogue because I truly respect what you represent. It's refreshing to see black men and women leaders like yourself having out of the comfort zone, out of the box conversations. This is what raises a, a community, the, this level of high level of conversation and dialogue. So I think to your, to your question, it's intentionally done that way because of systemic structural racism. It allows for our demise. We, we are definitely under attack. And so that's why in everything we do at CCD, we are unapologetically Black, Brown, Indigenous people of color. And I, and I respectfully am one of the co-architects of the New York City crisis management system, but it was built on the lens that we approached it. When we talk about stopping shootings for 365 days, for example, in the largest housing development in North America, arguably the world, Queensbridge Houses, it's because I follow... I follow some pillars and some principles called human justice that Eddie Ellis taught me, that Dr. Devon Pryor and other great minds from mm -hmm. the Attica Uprising, mm -hmm. from the Greenhaven Think Tank, mm -hmm. those brothers who did the seven, seven neighborhood studies, who did the language of it. They are the reason we use terms like formerly incarcerated. They are the rehumanizers. So I say we are the human justice lens. Mm -hmm. So when I do this work in Chicago, Honduras, Trinidad, as I mentioned, you pick a continent, we're successful because of these needs that we talk about and approaching them with the human justice lens has been a great success for us. What's different is we have to get what we've done in New York City that has worked to be replicated in other spaces. We put our political structure in the headlock. We hold them accountable That's at the right. highest. So you talk Bloomberg, de Blasio, now Adams, we advise them, mm -hmm. but we regulate. We understand that you know human justice is an equation. Human rights, that's consciousness, plus human development, that's resources, equals human justice. Don't just give me information. And don't just give me, don't, don't even just give me the resources. I read somewhere once that if the 2% that control 98% of the wealth on the earth was to be taken from them and distributed equally in a short amount of time, it would be back in their hands. So it's about the information, understanding wealth, intergenerational wealth, understanding how we build that out. I lead a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization because I understand those principles and apply them. We opened a thousand bank accounts in black and brown housing developments in New York City because we understand that. Not just to open the accounts, but the fiscal aptitude, the financial literacy that was connected to those accounts. The understanding of credit. You know, what does it mean to have that? When we was in the street, people like myself and brother, my son, hustling and scrambling in survival mode, we did a cost-benefit analysis. And we saw that we weren't getting opportunities to be employed. I tried to get a job, but my cost benefit analysis said, and I know that it said, you know, I can make $40,000 in a weekend mm. talking net. I'm not talking gross, right? Without any school, without any. So these are the things that young people, when we talk about that demographic, that high risk population, 
from 14 to 24, even 30 years of age, they're doing this cost benefit analysis, but they're not factoring in the risk reward. They're not, un nobody's telling them like my son is, this is what it feel like the first day when you step behind those bars. This is what happens to all your homies when you're sitting up there your first six months and your girl disappeared. You know, you're, you're, the people supposed to ride with you not there. There are some people that are, that are speaking that unpopular truth. Hmm. And so I think to your point, we got to turn that up and turn down the bullshit. Yeah. So can I just ask one more question and then I want you guys to finish it. And maybe I'm changing the direction, but one of the things that some, so I, is my son's not the only man that I drive crazy with all of my thoughts when I, whenever something hits me, especially when it comes to black men. So I call another black man and I explain, you know, what I experienced and what the lady said. I was at the graduation. It was so many black mothers there. It wasn't really, it was plenty, you know, some black men, but not as many as black women. And I was like, something is wrong here. And the person said to me that the biggest challenge he had with trying to be there to support his son was the relationship between him and his mother. That it caused him to want to, you know, he wanted to be the there. Child's but mother. Him Between him and the child's and mother. Child's mother, his right, right. His, his his child's right. mother. He said he wanted to be there. But it was very difficult. And sometimes for me, I'm going to be honest. I know that there, I know, it, I know we can be difficult. I've seen some of my sisters do some real crazy stuff. I've seen it. But I also feel like it's a cop out for some, for some, not all, but for some. And so I want to talk about that because to me, again, the relationship between us, whether we are together in a relationship or not, because my argument with my son is that a lot of men do not know how to operate as a parent unless they're in a relationship with the mother and, and, and vice versa, the mothers too. So I just, because I'm, I'm from the mindset that the breakdown in our family has something to do with how our kids are slipping through because they, we're not on the same page. Well, for me, there's, there's a lot in what you said, right? I want to read this thing first that Charlemagne posted today that's so, that's so you know, on point about what we're dealing with right now. He said, trauma in a person decontextualized over time looks like personality. Trauma in a family decontextualized over time looks like family traits. Trauma in a people decontextualized over time looks like culture, right? So we're dealing with so much trauma that it is morphed into what we call our own personality and we don't even identify it as something wrong, right? So, and that, so now to give what you're talking about as far as relationships, as, as a man, most men look for peace and stability right we want we don't we don't want to deal with drama we don't want to deal with arguments we don't want especially with somebody that we actually care for or we don't that we feel like we have some level of connection with we do not want to be an adversary to that individual so when you in a relationship with somebody and you sever that relationship based on the fact that there's no peace and there's no tranquility and there's always argument and and there's always vile situations, it's very unlikely that a man wants to re-enter that situation all the time, right? So if you have a woman that you were in a relationship with who is the mother of your children, you go, you try, right? Because I've seen many men try to be as peaceful as possible. Look, why we can't, you know, 
F being peaceful. You need to do this or do that, right? So what happens is most men, when you leave that situation and you find a peace of mind and you find a level of stability and comfort and peace, you don't want to keep entering into that. And when you find somebody who has made a conscious decision that don't matter what happens, I'm not going to make this comfortable for you, right? Over time, the average man will separate himself from that situation completely. And it's not because he doesn't love the child. It's not because he doesn't value his child and want to be there. It's that he realizes that his own mental state is to him more important because if he's not mentally stable, if this if his situation is able to put him in a position to where it jeopardizes his life, his mentality, his freedom because of this relationship with the parent, then he separates himself. When you realize that when you see that women are, are and, and men who have somehow come to terms and they're able to co-parent peacefully and they peacefully coexist, you see a lot less, a lot more men in those relationships with their children, right? It, 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 it takes time and maybe over four or five years you know what happens. Like me and my baby mother used to argue all the time. We were at odds and it wasn't because I wanted to be with her. I wasn't trying to be with her. It's just that she had whatever it was. I'm not blaming her or me, but some for some reason, there was always contention every time that we spoke or we I tried to deal with the kids or I tried to show up. It was always some type of contention. When that contention disappeared, we were able to co-parent so well. We became best friends. The, 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 our son benefited from it. And I've noticed that over time with most people. So I don't know. I've never been a woman, so I can't give you the perspective of a woman exactly how she said. But I know as men, we really just want peace. We do not want to be in contention every time that we're dealing with somebody. Nobody Thanks. wants to do that. And we will, and, and the average man will completely sacrifice any relationship, even with his kid. I know men who have had those interactions with their kids. When, when you and the kids start fighting and I gotta kick you up, they separate themselves from their children until they're able to have some level of civility because they do not want to deal with that. Women don't do that. Women will argue with the son, the daughter, they'll fight every day, they'll be in the street, you're doing that. Men, we're not wired that way. Mm -hmm. okay, do you hear ahead. the passion? Do you hear the passion in the brother's perspective? He's speaking from what he's lived. I mean, it's hard to argue, make a very compelling stance. I'm, I'm gonna say further. So in my intro, they talk, you talked a little bit about me being, you know, in this anti-gun violence work, but that's just a byproduct. Human justice work, as I'm, I'm mentioning, is about communication. It's about providing our youth and, and our women, our sisters, everyone with, with advanced tools to communicate because we didn't have that. We don't have that foundation in our homes a lot of the time. We damn sure don't got it in the schools. So it's about, what we do is give tools for people that have had lives lost between them, have had bloodshed between them in truce agreements and peace agreements, abilities to communicate, mm. right? Means to communicate. So one of my businesses is a law firm, Claudio and Associates. Less than 5% of attorneys in this country are of color. Less than 2% are women of color. I'm a co-founder owner of a law firm in Queens, New York called Claudio and Associates. It's a matrimonial firm. We focus and specialize, these are all women of color that run this firm, on parental alienation. What is that? That's because what Mike was talking about, there's not only a visceral response to being in complete, total, just contentious behavior back and forth, there's also prison at the end of that. There's also a jail cell at the end of being where someone told you they, or an allegation or a threat. There's also a kidnapping charge if you take your child from school without permission. 
So in, in, in a, to add on to the bro, like there's, there's another level of consequence when these things are not handled certain ways. And I'm not making excuse or justification. Look, since Mike's being personal, I would take, and this, just keep this between us and the, and the listeners, I would take any level of disrespect from the queen. She could do, she got a, she got a grit as long as my children. That's me. That's me and my relationship. Like, it, God forbid she take this and run with it. I don't think she's that person. But if she did, it's so I'm going to work with my children. You know, no my youngest that. is eight. So no matter, I, I made that. I had a mother. I have a Trinidad, your mother, West Indian mother, who was like, you see what I'm doing? You see the sacrifices I'm making? Your father's not here, right? So that when you have a family, she taught me I was six, seven, eight years old, so that you don't make excuses. You be there for your children. That's supersede. That comes before. So that's my personal approach, that we got to work this out. If I got to sleep in this room or you and I'm not going, what Hope said, the house on fire, I ain't leaving. That's me. But everybody got to make their decisions and walk their walk. But until minds are old enough to take care. But the bottom line is it's about communication. Mm-hmm. It's about communication. In the court system, men and women, right, have a, an entirely different set of privileges. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the court of law as it, as it pertains to matrimonial and family law. Absolutely. And I don't disagree, and but I still hear something, and I and I I understand that point that there are certain people you just can't be around them because they're dangerous. And it's just my cousin literally just got out of prison because he went to his you know child's mother's home and something happened, and the next thing you know he got locked up. In fact, I have another cousin who was just sentenced, and I'm not sure how long, but he was just put in prison. He might not be older than 23 for rape because of something that happened with his baby mother and the da 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 da. So this is very serious. I get it, it's life threatening. But I have to say that I know some men and a lot of them where the women are like, I, like you said, your mother, the door is open. You could come and be here and take your child and do what you want, but you need to stop trying to sleep with me when you come in this house. You need to stop sending me crazy messages and you need to be accountable for things and for for your actions. What hurts me is that I have many friends that they are raising sons and they are constantly saying things like, ask your father, see what your father says. Like, can your father help sometimes? Can your father, is your father and the father's are there when they want to be. My girlfriend just told me the other day, oh, Christmas time, he shows up big time. But in fact, we don't really need him at Christmas as much because everybody's giving him stuff for Christmas. What we need is just a regular Tuesday visit and and not a holiday visit. And I told my son that I get the sense that even this man who's a good guy, and I don't know when his, you know, maybe he never had Christmas, you know, who knows. But maybe it's the lack of, older men being in a stable position enough to teach younger men what it looks like to be a father who's able to navigate through dealing with an upset or trauma-filled mother. Like your point about a healing network or organization, and you brought up Charlemagne, that's important because he's been talking so much about Black men getting help. I feel like we would do ourselves all of us as a community, some some justice. And I know I'm talking long, but let me go and say this. When I go around Black women, we spend a great deal of time 
talking about our issues. Being me being checked by my aunt or some other woman about my behavior or what have you. When I'm a fly on the wall listening to men, I hear a lot of conversations about sports, about, you know, just cool and breezy. But I don't necessarily hear men really getting into with young men in these settings, conversations about life. And so that, and, and maybe I'm missing it, but I see when, when, when with women, we have empowerment spaces, this day, that conference, we do all that we can do to try to empower ourselves. And I don't see the same with black men, but I could be wrong. Not, not that it doesn't happen at all. I don't see it as much. See it as much. You gotta, you gotta hang out at CCD sometime. I want to invite both of you to come out. We got an office in every borough, but the main one is on Sutton Boulevard in Queens. I want to invite you to come out. Even in Queensbridge, we do, the, we do the healing justice circles. We just have one, and it's mentorship. It, it's really like, it's people taking off their mask. You know that that have have like mice have have lived and been through some things. I know my son probably going on almost 15, 20. Like I've been in clubs with him, Fat Joe in the Bronx. I've never heard this portion of him revealed like, and that's my brother. Somebody I've known and respected for a long time. But we, to your point, we don't always find those moments to be like, yo, how long? I've been dealing with my partner, my domestic partner for 28 years. She's been in my life since I was 15, 16 years old. But I don't speak about that to my brothers. We talk about a whole lot of other things. Mm -hmm. So I think there's spaces. When we, when we work with the young people, the youth builders, as we call them, we do have these conversations. We do talk about how to communicate, but but a lot of the self-care, the self-love has to happen first. You can't know how to speak to somebody else when you allow yourself to be dehumanized, when you walk around in the world feeling powerless, when you walk around the world being dictated to every step of the way, when you can't even get decent food in your body, but your mind's supposed to be in these elevated positions that you're describing, it's not really realistic a lot of the time for us, right? So I remember being with my girl, like I said, from those teenage years, and at one point, you know, it gets rocky. You kind of get caught out there. You, you shit ain't adding up this way and that way. And she's like, yo, what's up with you? She said, Kay, you the loyalist dude. Like, you don't do nothing without your guys. Like, you on the phone, everything, your word is everything. But with me, and I said, I never saw that. I never got that training. Mm -hmm. I know how to be stand up. I know how to stand on my word. I die for my word. But I didn't, I've never seen. And I wasn't copying. I wasn't trying to cop a pill. I was telling her, I like, that ain't part of the manuscript that I inherited from the streets, I never saw, not in my house and not in people around me. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm telling her like, you want me to do things with you that I've never seen, experienced, witnessed or been a part of. Mm -hmm. So she was, you know, and she's like, yo, but with the guys, you know what to do. It's this way, never, I don't, uh, uh, we not, it's all written in the code. She said, she said, where's the code for me? And mm -hmm. I think that's the point. We got to establish the code for us as brothers and sisters in relationships. That's Good real stuff. It's real, no, I just want to end it by saying, you know, we do, we have a lot of these conversations. Like, you know, I, I've, I take a lot of my, my brothers, my nephews, like I've, I've sat down with them. Every, every young man is in direct contact with me and any young guys that I mentor. And I sit down and have real conversations just based off, you know, my reality and my life and what I've been through. And I tell all of them, like, I'm a cheat sheet through life. And if you just take, you know, some of the influence and understanding like and the wisdom that I got, you don't have to make the mistakes that I made. You know, right. and, and unfortunately, there are a lot of young guys that I sit down and I have conversations with. I know that they're powerful and I know, but unfortunately, 
some of them will have to gonna go through a little. They ain't gonna get their hand burnt off. They're not gonna do a bunch of years in jail, but they're gonna get arrested one to two times. And then they're gonna come back to me and say, I know, I understand what you're saying. At 20 years old was the first time that my son ever admitted to me that I was always right. I see it on a Facebook post. He didn't call me. He didn't say, yo, dad, you right. He wrote on the he first just put it out there. post and was like, you know what? Today is the first day I realized that my dad never told me anything that was wrong. Everything he ever said to me was 100% correct. That's a beautiful feeling. And, and that's what it comes to. And I tell and I tell a lot of women, I tell Tamika, she'd be like, you got to tell these boys, tell us. And I'd be like, Tamika, unfortunately, men are wired a little different, right? They're going to have mentors that they listen to and they take in that information. They, they taking it in. You don't know they taking it in. Yeah. It's one day that it clicks in. See, you got to give them an opportunity for them to navigate and see yeah. things because unfortunately they don't believe, they don't always believe anything that everybody says, right? So they got to go through certain things and see certain outcomes for themselves to be able to go back and say, this, this is exactly what my mother, this is exactly what my used to say to me. So all our job is to, to, to be like the guardrails, right? Can't it's like, you know, in the bowling alley, we making sure it don't go into the, they put the rails up, for the, for the right. new beginners to make sure they don't go in the gutter. We just making sure it don't go in the gutter. So we just, we right there, we we can't do all of it. These are gonna be men and they're going to, they're going to have their own egos and they're gonna deal with certain things, but we just gonna make sure that they don't go too far left or too far right, that they even well, keep in the middle. Listen, I like I, you said everything right because you definitely do mentor, speak to and try to help young men. And I know that all the black men around me are really doing all that they can. I guess the point that I've been trying to get to and what is on my spirit is that we've got to expand this, you know, um, expand the work, expand these conversations because there's something wrong when a 15 year old young black kid is able to break the bones of a woman who looks like his grandmother and it's happening every single day. So there is a missing link. Um, and I know Absolutely. the system is responsible. I know it's all these things, but we, just like we, as uh, as I said, Black women, I think, I think Black men can learn something from the ways in which Black women organize ourselves, the ways in which we work with one another. It doesn't mean we don't go left and right, because my mom and them tried to tell me, don't do this, that, and the third, and I did all those things, including love the wrong guys. I mean, you name it. We all, like you said, my but there's something about us right now that has black women are the, as the leading entrepreneurs, the most graduated, you know, in these different classes, we are seeing black women graduating like crazy. We're seeing black women leading households also um, in a very powerful way. And, and yes, certainly it's structural and there's always been a division between us that has been manufactured by this nation. We know that. But I think that like the Underground Railroad, we got to figure out how to institute some of whatever's in the soup that we are cooking as Black women and do it your way, the way you all have been doing it, but just expand it and get y'all's voices out everywhere more often. I want to hear K-Bane every week on somebody's national podcast talking what you're talking and dropping that knowledge. I appreciate more than you know the opportunity to be amongst greatness. It means the world that you would include me in your di dialogue. This is sacred. We call people like you real models. Mm. We don't call you role models. We call y'all real models because you've been through some things and you're authentic. 
So the youth with mindset, when you plant that seed, it's going to germinate. Mm. It's, it's undeniable when you're dealing with people who are coming from their heart like you too. So again, privilege and honor. There's a tool. I'm going to leave you with this. There's a tool at CCD. It's called the Sustainable Growth Plan. The next time y'all have me on, the next time y'all pass by the shop so we can chop it up in person, I want to talk about this tool that is the bridge from survival mode mentalities that we come from Hmm. to ones of creation, where we're defining and designing our identity and our actions for ourselves. Hmm. Thank you, K-Bang. Thank you for coming on today. We're certainly going to have you um, to be back, and we're definitely going to come out and visit you, and maybe we'll do street politicians right from inside your office. I would love it. I would love it. Uh, Thank you so much, man. Yo, respect to the God. Tamika, beautiful as always, Queen. Thank you. you, too. Peace. Hey, everyone. I am so excited. The Black Effect is live. This April 27th, the 2024 Black Effect Podcast Festival is headed to Atlanta's very own Pullman Yards. Last year was incredible, and this year will be even more thrilling, especially with Nissan coming back along for the ride. Nissan is returning with some empowering activations to support Black excellence in the STEAM fields. Have a podcast idea you've been eager to share with the culture? Well, Nissan is back with a Pitch Your Podcast Lounge. You'll have the chance to record your podcast idea and have it shared with the Black Effect Podcast Network team. But that's not all. Nissan is taking the stage to spotlight some of the HBCU scholars from their own Thrill of Possibility Summit, Nissan's action-packed weekend of community building, mentorship, and professional development for HBCU scholars pursuing professions in STEAM. The Black Effect Podcast Festival is the event to be at. You won't want to miss this because no matter where life takes you, Nissan will dial up the thrill of your adventures. Visit blackeffect.com forward slash podcast festival for more details. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Shout to K-Bay, my brother, man. He told you we have a long-standing history brother that I've known for years and just watched him evolve and elevate from these streets in which, you know, we both come from and just understanding that there is elevation. That's what I try to tell you all the time. These kids going to get it, Tamika, because we got it. We had to go through some things. I know you look, 
you mm. know, and you look and you're like, damn, they're not on the right path. But long as they ain't in jail, long as they ain't out in the street shooting and killing and all that, they have an opportunity. So but I, they I, are, but they are. That's the problem. I'm just trying to tell you. Hours are not. Hours are not. Hours are not. But, 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 but hours not have to time. include, hours has to include way more. It has to. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. We're in a danger. That's why Boycott Black Murder is our campaign. That's and that's right. why we're going to grab these young boys that's up. Right. And that's why Raising Kings and, you know, I can't kill my brother because I love my... All of these things that we're going to implant in our kids and, and retrain the culture to what it really looks like for success and unity, man. So that's the next stages of what it is, man. So We were supposed to debate about Kevin Samuels. So what I'm challenging you to do is next week we should i think we have somebody booked for next week so yeah but we can figure it out next week if possible i think that you should bring someone to the show and i will try to bring someone i don't know but i'll try so we can have a conversation about our brother and i still call him my brother because he is a little brother, man. I don't, I, you know, I don't believe that people should be like, oh, I don't care if he died. That's that's too much for me. I would never do that. I thought Kevin Samuels, uh, at, there were times when, you're right, he did say some things that I was like, okay, I could see that. But I just think the brand um, that was associated with him, it was distorted. And, think, and yeah. But you know what it is? What I, what I learned, I, I, I've been playing sports my whole life, right? And you have different coaches. Right, you have coaches that pull you off the court and say you're playing like shit. You you like you playing like shit, and you're gonna sit on the rest of the bench. You're a bum. You're out of what you 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 you're too heavy. You're slow. I don't even know how you got to this team, right? And it worked for certain people. There were certain people that elevated their game because and that's something play. that Minister Farrakhan will do. Yeah, for sure. And, and it made and he called them every name possible in front of everybody, and they came back. And me, I was one of those people. When you told me those negative things about me, it said, all right, I'm going to show you that. I'm going to show you I'm better than that. And I came back and I competed 20 times harder. And those were my favorite coaches. I didn't need the coach that made it, you know, hey, you can, you can do a little better. I'm it's, not looking for that. Not, not, it's, no, what I'm trying to tell you is that's what I'm trying to tell you. Kevin Samuels has a, 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 a motto that worked for some people. When he talked about black dudes, he said, okay, so why should you have a woman? You're fat. You don't make no money. You don't really look that good. Like, do you have a big dick? It's, it's, it's probably small. Like, what, what, what can you offer a woman? Let's just be realistic. So I, my, I, 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 you know, it's fine. We should debate the issue next week because, you know, I, I y'all told me that a black woman, a, a black man needs life spoken to him by a woman. You know, she needs to be built. His woman, yeah, his woman. Yeah, well, but you know, I'm just telling you that there was some times it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make me. If for someone to tell me that as thirty, if I'm over thirty five, I'm leftovers. That I get that's it. That's not something, and I'm, I'm just trying to say I could give you so many of those types of statements that. But I can give you so many of so, types of statements that he did, he made that weren't like that. Also, nah, I don't think so. Okay, but so anyway, let's, 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 we'll bring that. Let's bring that week. to the show. Let's do it next week. You know what I'm saying? So, um, what I want to do is the way I want to end this show is usually I end it with my I don't get it. There's so many things I don't get, but this week, you know, after traveling to Ghana and traveling to Africa and just really just reflecting, man, 
I really don't get how us as a people with so much greatness, so much power, so much ability, just don't get it right. I, I just don't get it. Like when, when, I, when I'm traveling and I'm seeing, I, I look at the power and you look at every field, black people excel. They, they create everything. They come up with the ideas, they, the best athletes, we, all of these things. And we don't utilize that and put it together to become the superpowers and the gods and that we supposed to be. I just don't. It's sad, but it's not us. It's really, it, it, it's, it, it is at this point because we should know better, but really we have, it took 400 plus years to break us down and to create this thing where we can't work together or where we don't work as much together as we should. I mean, you, you know, words are powerful. We can work together and we do work together, but we don't do it as much as necessary to change the conditions of our, pe of our people. That's what I'm focusing on with these questions that I'm asking because I see us and we, 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 we know how to argue one another down. Damn. Trying to build up because our kids are in the center of it. And I and I think that we have to recognize that this is being done to us on purpose. Our communities have been built and structured a certain way, and our relationships in a lot of ways have also been tampered with. So hopefully we can get that. It's so crazy. Like I watched all every like I've been really doing historical studies and every person deemed as a leader who has taken on any, you know, pressure to say, hey, I'm gonna do something to change my people has been demonized and crucified by its own people. And I don't know how we got to that stage. It's, it's, it is the weirdest thing that I've ever seen, but you know, my purpose is different. So I'm gonna continue to move through the fire and take whatever comes with it, you know? So I'm gonna love my people despite my people. Or despite what we've been through, because we have to recognize the trauma. So. And with that being said, I'm not gonna always be right. Tamika Mary's not gonna always be wrong. We both always, and I mean always be authentic. Peace. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. 
That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125-milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-negative NBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. 